Well, would you turn over in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Zig Ziglar tells the story of a boy that went to his mother, went with his mother to the old general store, and he liked to sneak away from his mom and dip his finger into the molasses barrel when she wasn't looking. Make sure no one else was looking. But one time, the uh, owner of the general store caught him dipping his finger into the molasses barrel. And so he picked the boy up, hung him upside down, and dipped his head into the molasses barrel. And then set him outside the store on the, on the bench that was out front. And you would think, of course, he'd be crying and doing stuff like that, but he wasn't. He was actually praying, God, give me the tongue to equal this opportunity. Glory to God. We got some opportunities, don't we? <laughs> We're going to take a look tonight at someone who fits the description of some of the people we've been looking at, and that is our uh, disciple we all know of as Judas, the betrayer. You wonder, how could someone who followed Jesus around for so long turn into the betrayer that he was? Have you ever had somebody like a Judas? I mean, probably none of us have ever had one to that extent. They, they uh, turned you over so you could get hung up on a cross or anything like that. Otherwise, you know, you wouldn't be here. But we've had people that have done pretty close, right? I mean, they've, they, we thought they were our friend. We trusted them. And they said things. They did things. They hurt us. And it's tough sometimes to get over that. So how does a person go for And I don't mean someone who accidentally hurt you. I'm talking about someone who deliberately, premeditatedly, knew what they were doing, thought about it, gave plans to it, and executed it. That's the kind of people we're talking about. How many have one of those in your life before? These are, it's tough that, you know, and, and you think of how close you were to them. I mean, wasn't there a time when you were pretty close to that person? And you wonder, how did they get from that place of being that close to being so hurtful? How does, it, how does that happen? Well, Judas is one of those who did that. And so he's one we have in the, in the Word of God. And so we can learn some things from the example that Judas was. So first off, our question is, how could Judas be a betrayer? How does he get to this place? In Luke chapter 22 and verse 1, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered Judas, surname Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of multitudes. Now one thing we don't always think of about a Judas is that whenever you have a Judas in your life, you also have Sadducees and Pharisees who are glad to hear it. <laughs> That's what makes the Judas turn Judas and become popular is because there are Sadducees and Pharisees. They give them audience and give them time and in this case, gave them money. They, it says they were glad to hear it. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. We know that's the time that, that uh, Judas actually pulled it off. But it says here that Satan entered Judas. That should almost give us a scare if we just read that and look at it. Satan entered Judas. How does he get in there? I mean, if Satan could just enter Judas and make him do what, he, what the devil wanted to do, what's to stop the devil from entering into you? So the reason that Judas did this was because Satan entered into them. And I dare say that we've had some friends and some close people that Satan has entered into them and put some plans into their life, right? 
Did that hurt them? Didn't Paul have that? Didn't have Paul have people that he relied on and he, he needed? And then all of a sudden, they're becoming a Judas to him and betraying him. So how does Satan get in here to do this? Well, in John chapter 13, now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, and supper being, ended, supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. He's already put this in his heart. Well, we already know that Satan entered him. Now we know not only did Satan enter him, but Satan put a plan into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. Something was sown. So we see that Satan entered Judas and then something was sown into Judas. What has to happen in order for a seed to become a harvest? It's got to grow. It's got to grow. Have you ever planted grass seed on your yard? Have you ever had it not come up? <laughs> yeah, it was pretty quick over there. <laughs> yeah, we planted grass seed before and it doesn't come up sometimes. You know, I was, I had that trouble sometimes. You plant the grass seed, you water it, you do all the stuff you're supposed to do and nothing. I mean, it's nothing. And there's nothing more discouraging than that because it takes how long for grass seed to even germinate? It could take 10 days, 2 weeks before you're even supposed to see something and, and nothing. So you go on to 3 weeks. Now you're, you know, out of the real prime growing season. And into something else, so you gotta water more or, or something like that. There was a store that was up in one, one place we lived, and they had a grass seed, and I still know the name of it, but I won't bother you with those kind of details. But this, this grass seed, I mean, it grew. Wow, did it grow. I planted it one time, and just shot right up. So I said, this is the best grass seed in the world. I will always get this grass seed until this store closed up. <laughs> we moved from the, the, the house over in Hatfield moved to another one. I drove all the way out to this one, which was past the Hatfield house, to get the grass seed. Because there's nothing more discouraging than plant grass seed and nothing come up. Hmm, hmm. That's tough. So, somehow this seed came up. This was sown into his heart, but somehow this thing came up. And we've got to find out, well, what is it that caused this seed to come up? Because we've seen this seed come up in people that we know, and we've seen this seed come up in people that have hurt other people as well. So what caused it to happen? How did Judas become good soil? Remember the sower, the, the parable of the sower? There were some that uh, fell on good soil, some that didn't fall on such a good soil, and some grew and some didn't. Wouldn't you like to have all the bad seed fall on the bad soil in your life and all the good seed fall on the good soil? That just would be a much better way. And just think about some of those places that you planted grass seed did you have any trouble with the weeds growing up? You plant the grass seed, there's no grass, but there are weeds. And weeds come up, and oh, it's a mess. So how did Judas become good soil? When Satan left Jesus, remember before when Satan left Jesus, when he was tempting him? Turn over to Luke chapter 4. Or just look up on the screen. You can Luke chapter 4. Now when the devil had ended every temptation with Jesus, he departed from him until an opportune time. What's the devil looking for? Opportune an opportune time. He does not just throw seed. He looks for an opportunity. He doesn't throw seed out in drought. He's looking for an opportunity. And when the opportunity is there, he comes after it. Which tells us that when Jesus 
went through the temptation, what did the devil see? An opportunity. Didn't he? If he's going to look for an opportune time and he came here, was that not an opportune time? Sure it was. We'll, we'll be looking at that scripture later on. We'll figure out some of those things. But life gives opportunities. Satan does not have to create them. Please understand that. Life gives opportunities. Satan does not have to go around and create situations in your life to make you fertile soil. Life does it. All he has to do is look for the opportunities. Once he finds the opportunities, he can seize on them. I heard somebody say this, Have you ever wondered why opportunity knocks once, yet temptation bangs on the door constantly? <laughs> why is that? That's just not fair. <laughs> well, in uh, Matthew chapter 26, we're going to look at this scripture. Now, for those who are here on Wednesday night, my dad covered some things out of this scripture before. And we'll look, at, look again over those things. We'll have that message he got up on the, on the internet here pretty soon. Matthew 26, verse 1. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings that He said to His disciples, You know that after two days is the Passover, the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill Him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil and she poured it on his head as he sat on the table. And when his disciples saw it, they were indignant saying, Why this waste for this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor? But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil... On my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Now, we're not looking so much at the uh, act of the woman here. That was done pretty well in the Wednesday night teaching and we'll have that available to you when uh, I can get that up there for you to go back there and check that out. But here, what I want you to focus on is that the disciples had said, why wasn't this sold? Why wasn't this sold? And if you look in the later on, of course my dad brought this out too when he was on, on Wednesday, that uh, over in John chapter 12, then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? So who's actually said it? All the disciples saw it. Probably all the disciples thought it. But one put voice to it. You see, there's a difference between those who think a thing and those who say it. I mean, haven't you actually thought, had thoughts of betraying someone like someone has betrayed you? Come on, don't be super religious here. Have you not had thoughts of betraying someone the way that someone has betrayed you? Yeah, we've had thoughts. But we just don't go out there and do it, hopefully. If you did, you got forgiven for it, right? But there's a difference between having the thought to do it and coming out and saying it, isn't there? And here it was with Judas. Judas, the rest of them had a little bit of apprehension, apparently, and they may be thinking this, but I don't know that I'm going to come out here and say this. But Judas, he doesn't even care. He just comes out and says it. And of course, he says, well, let's give it to the poor. And that's not what the reason was. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. 
and had the money box and he used to take what was put into it. Now this verse tells us something else about Judas. This is not the first time that seed had been sown. What we see before that Satan entered him, seed can be sown without Satan entering you. He had had seed before. I mean, God, Jesus gave him the treasury, gave him the money back. You hold this, you keep it, and you keep account of it. And that was all of was said apparently because he could take from it and no one would know. That tells you how rich Jesus' ministry was because you could take from the money bag and uh, no one would know. I've heard people also summarize that a lot of the money that was brought to him at birth was used to finance his ministry because there was a lot of money brought to him. Understand when he, uh, when Joseph went down to Egypt, what did he do for a job? We don't really hear about too much of a job. He probably lived off the money that was given to them to take care of them and keep them, keep them going. Now, he may have tried to set up carpentry and, and some things out there too, but what financed the trip? These were not rich people at the time, but when the, when the uh, wise men came, they suddenly became very rich. Like the pictures I often sometimes show you, three uh, wise men each carrying a little box. Put that out of your head. They came with camels. And it wasn't three of them. There was a lot of them. They came with a whole lot of stuff. I hope they left a couple of camels for them. That'd be tough to have to carry all that stuff on your own. So, he's had seed sown in him before and he's let it come to harvest. The seed comes in, man, you're taking care of all this money. And, and you're not really getting much out of this. And look what you gave up to be here with Jesus. You should take some. I mean, look at all the rest of the disciples. You probably had the best job of anybody here. You should, you should, you should dip in. And he did. He started going there and taking some. That was a problem, wasn't it? The thought came and, and he went, he went ahead and did it. Now he went ahead and stole the money and had no problems with it. Those, he, he felt like he deserved it. I, this is my due. This should be mine. But he still served Jesus. He still was going out there and, and doing all the stuff that was supposed to be doing. See, Satan saw an opportunity somewhere inside. The thoughts were there. Oh, look what you gave up to follow Jesus. You should get something for that. Something should, good should come to you. You deserve this kind of a thing. He sees an opportunity. 1 Peter 5.8 Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So apparently we can put ourselves in an opportunity in an opportune place for the devil to devour us. When he came back to Jesus, it was at an opportune time. He's looking for opportunity. And sometimes situations come along our path to create an opportunity for him to come in and sow a seed. Because if he sees the opportunity, he will sow the seed. Just like he did with Judas. And this seed was so powerful, it turned someone who gave up their job, gave up whatever they had at home and followed Jesus. Remember Peter's words? Jesus, we have given up all to follow you. He didn't say, I have given up. He said, we have given up. They knew each other's situation. We have given up all to follow you. Judas gave up something to follow Jesus. He didn't do this with the intent to betray Jesus in the beginning. So somewhere along the way, this happened. Now, what are some of the things that Jesus had? We've got to think about it. What, what are some of the stuff that Jesus, that, I'm sorry, that Judas had with him? 
What did he have? Well, first thing I think, and you tell me about this if you think that's right or not. Did he have the best shepherd? I don't, you think you can do better than Jesus? I think he had the best shepherd out there. There is no better than Jesus. Jesus is the best shepherd. So he had the best shepherd. What did he have responsibility? Yeah, he had responsibility. You know, he's taking care of the money box and, and we don't know what else he had, but he had 12 guys with him. They all had different responsibilities. Now we know that they didn't have sound men. They didn't have that issue. But I don't know what else they had. I mean, they maybe they, some of them were praise and worship leaders. Uh, no matter where, where you are, you always have music. So maybe some of you always are out there to coordinate that and, and maybe somebody else has to coordinate uh, the staging area. And Who knows what they all have? But they have responsibilities. They have stuff they're supposed to do. The money box is not the only responsibility. You don't need 12 guys. Jesus got 12 guys. And He kept them busy. If He didn't keep them busy, they wouldn't be hanging around too long. So He has responsibility. Well, did He receive good teaching? You think He could do much better than what Jesus was teaching them? But we're still feeding off that stuff and we don't have all that He said. Judas got to hear all that He said. We only get to hear what was written down. But he got to get it all. Did he get good teaching? Yeah. Were his needs met? Yeah. Needs were met. Was there ministry opportunity? Didn't he send them out two by two? Lay hands on the sick? Then they sent him into the city to go out and get some converts and they came back empty handed. So he sent the woman in instead and she came out with the whole city. They had opportunities. They didn't always take them. They had an opportunity to quiet the storm. Peter had an opportunity to walk on water. There were some opportunities in front of these people. They didn't always take them. They didn't always recognize them, but there were opportunities. But I don't think that Judas is very mindful of this. How about you? I think that Judas is more mindful of the things that he's lacking. He lacks a place to call home. Doesn't Jesus say that the Son of Man has no place to rest his head? He's got no home. He's always moving around. How many of you have ever been in a job where you traveled around? And if you get into a job when you travel around for a while, there's some things, you know, I've talked to some people who traveled around. I didn't travel around as much as some people did. I did have a job, had me traveling around some. Uh, two, two to four days a week, I would travel. I wasn't, I mean, some people are going five, six days. It wasn't anything like that. But two to four weeks, I would travel. And I, I remember sometimes I talked to other people who did this and they said the same thing happened to them. Sometimes you'd wake up in a hotel room and have absolutely no idea where you are or what you're supposed to do. Totally blank. I mean, you're looking around. Where and what city am I in? What am I supposed to do tomorrow? And you have no idea. Absolutely no idea. What's going on? Because you just moved around and all this sort of stuff. When I got to uh, have regular routes, I always established myself, and I did this for a reason. I established myself in hotel rooms. I would I would join a hotel, and I would find out from them, "Will you keep this room for me every week? Every time that I need to come on down." And uh, they would, and I would get to know the hotel owner. Always got to know the hotel owner. And I would always let the hotel owner know, I am in ministry. Because if anyone ever wanted to try and tempt me, and you know, sometimes that happens, you get on out there and somebody says, why don't you take me on back to your room? <laughs> I wanted to make sure I had someone to answer to. So those people always knew, and I knew, and you know what, no one ever did except once. And I just laughed at it. No one, 
Yeah. Other other ministers who are much better, much more good looking, get more opportunities, and I have to say no. <laughs> I didn't have that much of a trouble with that. But I always set myself up to make sure because everybody I stayed in knew me, knew what I did, and I was always in a hotel room where the person who ran the hotel could see my room and see me, and they knew every day. If you they, if I came back, oh, you went out for a run. Oh, did you go out for dinner after? They knew, they knew exactly when I went in and when I came out. They knew, and I liked that. I wanted them to know it. But by having the same hotel room, generally if you wake up in that hotel room, oh, I'm in Ocean City today. All right, I know what I'm supposed to do tomorrow. <laughs> but sometimes you get moving around to some of the other ones and you're different, different hotel rooms. I mean, you just wake up, you don't know. I even have that happen to me once in a while when I was driving. I was driving around the road and you know, always had tapes on and things playing. And your mind just gets to wander on the thing that the tape's doing. You're just driving. And all of a sudden you come to yourself. Where am I? Where am I going? Who am I supposed to take this stuff to? What state am I in? I mean, no idea. Absolutely no idea. I mean, just... So you drive around for a little while and you see something. Oh, I know where we are. Okay. (laughs) And you'd figure it out. But sometimes that would hit you. Now, people who travel on a regular basis would have this happen a lot more often than I did. But I know that that can go on. And that can be kind of a problem. And these guys were always moving around in different places. And sometimes they probably woke up and said, Where am I? Oh, if only I knew where I was every time I woke up. I mean, this thing of always having to be in a different place and, and stay with a different person. and Oh, I'm just I'm not liking this. He didn't have a place to call home. And he could focus on that. Sometimes you can focus on that. Oh, I don't have this. and This isn't so good. He didn't have someone to follow his plan, did he? Because Judas had a plan. We know some things from the history of Judas, some of the things that he was after. He was looking for a Messiah, much like the rest of the disciples were looking for, but he was a little bit more zealous about wanting one to come in and militarily destroy Rome and didn't see Jesus doing it quite to the degree that he thought that he should do it. Some think that he betrayed Jesus for the purpose of uh, escalating Jesus into the plan. And that may have been, I don't know, I can't, I can't tell you, I don't know Judas, I don't know if he just got frustrated and said, I'm done with Jesus, or if he's trying to escalate Jesus into the plan, that's where the remorse came in. We'll have to wait till we get up to heaven and ask Jesus, because we probably won't be able to ask Judas. <laughs> so, so he had someone to follow his plan. I'm thinking that he probably made more money before. And that's why he's... Because ministry life, it probably isn't paying him all that much. And he probably had a pretty decent job before and he was able to, to buy certain sandals. You know, he wanted the Nike sandals and now he's got to settle for the Kmart sandals. <laughs> and maybe he doesn't like that. He wants to get back up and, you know, get the, the $100 Nike sandals again instead of the $10 Kmart ones. I don't know what it was that he, that he was coming into, but he's probably used to more stuff before than he has now. And I'm sure that he had the problem with that others received more recognition. I mean, if he sat there in the bed at nighttime, he's probably thinking, you know, Peter has, he just, just seems like he gets more opportunities. I mean, we're all on the boat. Why can't we go out and walk on the water? No, Peter has to be the guy. He's probably upset at that. He's probably upset because, you know, John, well, you can just tell he's the favorite. I wish I was the favorite. John's the favorite. Bugs me that John's the favorite. How come James always gets to be the head usher? 
You know, I'd like to be the head usher once, but James is always the head usher. How come he gets favoritism that way to always be the head? I want to be the head usher. I could do it. How come Luke, he's not even a disciple. How come he gets to hang around so much and Jesus keeps spending time with him? That's just not right. It's like he's helping him write a book or something. So you just go on around and just begin to think of these things at nighttime and think of all the disciples and how poor Judas is down at the bottom. And Matthew, even Matthew, a tax collector, is a better position than I do. I mean, Matthew, every time we're in the meeting, he's always orchestrating the prayer line. I mean, that's just a great spot to be. And I, who, where am I? I'm in the back. Others receive more recognition. And whether or not they did it or not, you know, if you get a certain mentality, it always is that way. Everyone else is getting recognition. Everyone else is getting attention. You ever run that with, with people? We talked to you about this before. How many of y'all have friends that if something goes on in their life, they want to know why you didn't call them? Why didn't you call me? How come? Y'all have friends? I have friends like that. You have friends like that. We all have friends like that. They all want to be called. But they don't call anybody else, do they? They don't call and check up on anybody else. But everybody should be calling them and checking up on them. Well, nobody called me. Check up on me. Even sometimes get that in churches. Nobody called me. See where I was on Sunday. I like to ask people, how many people you call and find out where they were last Sunday? No, I didn't. That's not my job. (laughs) Come on now. We got to get out of that. You get into this mentality, you get into this kind of thinking. And once you do that, you are getting yourself to be some pretty fertile soil. And here we have satanic fertilizer. Satan has fertilizer. He just knows how to throw the right stuff on at the right time. How many of you have a neighbor who has really green grass? They know how to fertilize a lawn. That grass is green. Satan knows how to fertilize seeds. Ungrateful, unthankful thoughts accelerate the seeds sown. Ungrateful, unthankful thoughts accelerate the seed sown. How do we know that Judas had ungrateful, unthankful thoughts? How do you get to the point of stealing from the ministry without being ungrateful and unthankful? Is that even possible? Ungrateful, unthankful thoughts accelerate the seeds sown. Put this in your outline too. As faith gets God's attention, ungratefulness gets the devil's. I, you know, I think God can smell faith. When he's, he's, he's around, there's some, there's faith around here. I know it. I can smell it. And God's drawn to faith. In the same way the devil loves ungrateful, unthankful attitudes. And he's drawn to it. He can smell them. There's some ungrateful people around here. Oh, ungrateful. That's great soil. Let's take some of these seeds. Let's begin to work this in here because we know, oh, we can turn this around. We can get this thing going. We can have this thing really get moving. Let's get on back over here to the, to the Scripture. Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him thirty pieces of silver. So from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. For 30 pieces of silver. Folks, I'll bet you he stole more than that from the ministry. 
So why kill the golden goose? Now on the first day of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying to Him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand and I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. How many of you are willing to do this kind of a setup? Walk in, find the guy, tell him the master wants to use your room and all this sort of thing. It takes a little bit of faith there because Jesus has given them a word of knowledge what's going to happen. As they were eating, he said, verse 21, Surely I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful and each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? Now Jesus does not know this because he looks around and says, ah, that Judas character. Mm-mm. He hasn't been saying this all the time. It has been prophesied from long ago that someone would betray him. And so Jesus knows Scripture. And he knows that one of them is going to betray him. Just from Scripture. I heard somebody make a case for this. I think I've shared this with you before. That if you were Jesus and didn't know, and we don't know if he knew or not all his ministry, we know at this point he does. But we don't know all through the ministry if he knew who it was who was going to betray him. And so if you didn't know who it was, just if you could probably make as strong a case for Peter as you could for Judas as a betrayer. John? Nah, probably not. He's the favorite. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. And each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. And the Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better. It would have been good for the man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, it's already been put into his heart, right? The devil's already entered in. He's already made the deal. How would you like to have that? The seed's already been sown in your heart. You've already made the deal with the Pharisees. And then Jesus says this at the meeting. How many of you are saying, that's it, I'm giving the money back. I'm not coming through. No, 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 no. Uh-uh. Anybody who knows this kind of stuff? No, 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 no. I mean, how are you going to betray a guy like that? Rabbi, is it I? And he said, you have said it. You have said it. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and they gave it to the disciples and said, take eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. Well, he went on down and instituted the Lord's Supper. We don't have to get into all that, all that part of it. But going back down over here to uh, verse 47. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one who sees him. Immediately he went up to, to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. It was a very affectionate greeting, of course, that he gave. And he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? He already knows he's a betrayer. And he's looking at that and saying, He's not saying, What are you here for? He's saying, why have you come? In other words, the reasons that you have come do not line up with your greeting and the kiss. And this is what happens with ungrateful, unthankful people, folks. Their outward actions don't line up with the inside. Don't think it was just because of the people that you ran into. Because I'm sure that the people you ran into who were somewhat of a Judas in your life, that you found out that they were one way in their greeting to you, but inwardly were totally different. That's the way that people become. It's not unique to them. It's the way that people become when they give in to this. 
So when you give it, when you see that amongst people, and there's that lack of, gen, of, of genuineness, and we're greeting people with a kiss, we're greeting people with a really nice, oh, how you doing? Greetings, Rabbi. Hi, friend. Nice to see you. But their inward action, their inward attitude, their actions away from you don't line up. This person is not going down a good road. You don't need anyone else to tell you. If you begin to see that in the person, just know. There's a reason why people are not genuine with you. There is a reason why. You must understand. If they pretend to be your buddy, if they pretend to be your friend, if they say all these nice things up front, but you know they are not that way, there's a reason why they are that way. Because if they were just going to despise you, how would they greet you? Oh, it's you. <laughs> what are you doing here? I didn't know you were coming. Right? You would expect that out of someone with that kind of an attitude. But when the greeting is this way and the inward attitude is over here, run. <laughs> Do not trust things with these people. They have gone in a way. What has been sown in the heart? Wrong seeds. Bad seeds. And fertilizer has come upon it. Why? Because they've become ungrateful and unthankful. And probably have been ungrateful and unthankful towards you. Because generally when the, the people who are betrayed are the people they are not thankful of. Judas was not thankful for the things that his, his teacher was doing. He didn't see him as the greatest shepherd, did he? He didn't see him as the greatest teacher. He didn't see all his needs being met. There was a, there was a difference in, that, in all that. And if you see this in people, understand, they can betray you. Now, you get, if you're going to admit, I'm not saying cut them off, but you better be careful what kind of stuff you throw out there to them because whatever it is that you throw out there to them will be said to the worst possible person. Just understand that. Don't let it be surprised when they do it. They all follow exactly the same path. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew a sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. We know, of course, that was Peter. Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father and He will provide me with more than twelve, twelve legions of angels? How then could the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? So He betrays them. Doesn't do good for Jesus. Turn over to Luke chapter 4 if you would. Luke hung around a lot with Jesus. Wrote down a lot of stories that went on. A lot of the uh, actions that had taken place, a lot of the teachings, he wrote them down because he was there. In Luke chapter 4, he was not there for this one, but Jesus passed this story on to them and they wrote it down for us. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. Now he was hungry when? After the 40 days. He was not hungry during the 40 days. Most people, folks, who went on a 40-day fast, it was supernatural and they were not hungry. I mean, a 40-day fast is easy when you're not hungry. <laughs> Isn't that right? Not eating is easy if you're not hungry. It's when you're hungry that's the problem. So it's not like these folks who did the 40-day fast, 
sacrifice great amounts of flesh. There was no flesh. They just weren't hungry. But afterwards, after the 40 days of the fasting, he went away, 40 days fasted, supernatural fast. But afterwards, he hungered. Then he's hungry. So when does the devil swoop in? When there's an opportunity. Ah, there's an opportunity. He's hungry. Where? In the wilderness. There's no McDonald's. There's no Wendy's. Certainly no Burger King. Where are you going to get something to eat? And so the, he could be thinking, oh, we had this great spiritual encounter and I really feel built up and I am ready to take on the world. And God's left me out here to die. Oh, I'm in the wilderness. I mean, I am really... If you haven't eaten for 40 days and it says you're hungry, I'm sure it means you are really hungry. Oh, you are hungry. 40 days of appetite all built up. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. This appeals in all kinds of ways. Here's the opportunities. First off, we had this great encounter, 40 days of getting closer to God and building Him up, getting Him ready for ministry. If you are really God, does He know that He's God? He knows. If He didn't know before, then He knows now. He probably knew before because we know that at age 12, He was saying, I have to be about my Father's business. So more than likely, He knows. And this certainly just confirmed it. If you are the Son of God. I mean, that's just a little proof going on here. How many of you say, well, I can prove this to you. I mean, am I the Son of God? Of course I am. Turn these rocks into bread. Boy, I am kind of hungry. Nothing wrong with turning rocks into bread. I mean, I just I need to eat. What's his, what's his answer? It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. What the devil was trying to do was to pull him into an ungrateful, unthankful realm. Ungrateful. Because you are God. And here is God stranded in the wilderness after this great supernatural 40-day fast with no food. And here you are hungry. If you really are God, He's appealing to this side of Him to get Him to the point where He says, well, yeah, if I am God, Oh yeah, I am, I am hungry. I've been left out here with no food. Now, the least God could have done was send an angel down, brought some food. Come on. But he he resists. He does not get pulled into that unthankful, ungrateful mentality. He's no, no. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Understand, if any thought comes to your mind to pull you into an ungrateful, unthankful mentality, where does it come from? comes from the enemy and if it comes from the enemy it must be resisted. And Jesus does this. He resists it. Most of us would look at that and say, what's the big deal? He's God. Turn rocks into bread and eat it. It's no big deal. It is if it gets you into an ungrateful, unthankful mentality. Then the devil taking him up on a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory but for this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Now, he is God. He knows what's going on. This is not a temptation if it's not true. This has to be true in order to have any kind of merit of a temptation. If you will worship before me, all will be yours. Well, Jesus came to get that authority back. Isn't that one of the things he came to do? 
And here's an easier way to do it. How many know this plan is easier than the Father's plan? And Jesus began to think, no, this is, I can get what we needed, to, what I came down here for, and this is a whole lot easier than the Father's plan. I don't think the Father has my best interest in mind here. Now, he wants me to you know, go three and a half years and endure all these people and then be beaten and, and all that's whipped and put on a cross and left to die and have the sin of the world put upon me and then be buried three days in the earth. I like this plan better. This plan... I think is more appreciative of my talents and abilities. <laughs> Couldn't he do that? Couldn't you begin to think on these kind of a ways? But he doesn't think that way. Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you, shall you serve. Now, the devil may have done that and may have given all authority, but Jesus then would be under the penalty of sin and so would, would all of us. So it's the same thing he threw out to Adam and Eve. Partial truth, not quite revealing all the consequences. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you to keep you. Now he's going to throw Scripture out. And in their hand, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, Well, you know, I am the Son of God. I think I should. I think I deserve a certain amount of protection. I think uh, God can spare an angel. Let's just see how much He really cares about me. <laughs> he doesn't do that, does He? He says, "It has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God." Now, when the devil had had ended every temptation, not just three, but every temptation, he departed from him until. An opportune time. He is looking for opportune times. Take a look at these four temptations. In the first one, he's hungry. Let's get him hungry. Let's get him to begin to gripe and moan and complain because he's hungry. In the second one, we want to misdirect the worship. In the third one, what are you deserving of? What do you deserve? Hungry, worship, and deserve. What do you really... Don't you deserve as the Son of God an angel to help you out? Here you are in this wilderness all by yourself. Don't you at least deserve an angel to come and help you out? He's trying to get him, He's trying to lure him into this area of being ungrateful and unthankful. Not focused on what God has done, but on what God should do, could do, hasn't yet done. Haven't you had an opportunity to get involved with that this week? Boy, I'll tell you what we all do. I do. You do. Mm. I bet you become a little bit more mindful of them too. Oh, that was an ungrateful attitude I just embraced. Now, we went over this principle before, but we're reminded of you again. Most often, ungratefulness is sudden. Most often, ungratefulness is sudden. We see that at one point, Satan entered into Judas as a sudden act there. At one point, Satan saw an opportunity and sowed the seeds. When we went back to Adam and Eve, remember the first week on this, we looked at Adam and Eve. They were going along the garden. Everything is fine. We're satisfied. We are happy. We are in the Garden of Eden. This is a great place. What a wonderful life. All the food we need to eat. 
We don't have to worry about shopping trips. We don't have to worry about colors matching. Walking with God. I mean, this is just great. It's always a nice temperature. It's just beautiful. Then they're going along and they're happy. They are fine. And then suddenly they became ungrateful. Jeroboam. We looked at him and we saw that he had the promise from God and he satisfied, satisfied, satisfied with that until all of a sudden the promise from God comes about and then suddenly he is unsatisfied. What happens if the people go down and worship in Jerusalem and leave me? Oh. See, most times ungratefulness is sudden. You go from being grateful, grateful, grateful to bang! Not grateful. You go from being grateful, grateful, grateful about your house. Oh, this is a wonderful house. Oh, I love this house. Oh, I like this house. And suddenly, it's not a good house anymore. Why? Well, I saw somebody else's house. I like that one better. <laughs> suddenly. I mean, for a long, long time, the car you have, it's, it's a great car. Oh, you like that car. Oh, this is the greatest car in the world. And then you go to the car show. Oh. This is not the greatest car in the world anymore. There are much better ones. And you become unsatisfied with what it is that you have, right? There's, there's something more to be had. Most often, folks, ungratefulness is sudden. This is why you have to stand on guard against it. This increases the need for being on guard. You've got to be on guard because it's, it's prowling around. It's looking. Are we ungrateful yet? Are we unthankful yet? Is anything like that going on? And as soon as it is, pounce! And suddenly, I've become ungrateful. Suddenly, God isn't good enough. God is my healer. God is my healer. God is my healer. I'm meditating on the things He's done for me in the past. He's healed me here. He's healed me there. Oh, what a wonderful God. And then all of a sudden, the doctor says, you're going to die in three weeks. Are we? And suddenly, we become ungrateful about all the things that God has done. All the headaches, all the colds, all the flus, out the window. Gone. Suddenly. This is why we have to be so much on our guard. Because it's not that the devil is trying to put this attitude in us. It's that life happens all around us. And all of a sudden, we can become focused on the downside and become ungrateful. And once we become ungrateful, he sows the seed because the fertilizer is on it. There is fertilizer for this seed. And you put seed and fertilizer together. Mm. You want that grass, grass seed to grow? that you planted, you know they make a special fertilizer for grass seed. Do you all know that? If you put regular fertilizer on grass seed, you'll kill it. It won't grow for you. But they make a special fertilizer just made for grass seeds. You put that on it, it starts to grow a whole lot faster. The fertilizer, folks, for bad seed is all around us. There's all kinds of fertilizer all around for bad seed to grow. Weeds happen. You can plant the best grass seed in your yard and weeds will still happen. What do you have to do? Be on guard. Guard against the weeds. Get them out. Because you put fertilizer down for your grass, guess what happens? Also helps. The weeds. Weeds eat it too. It's not like fertilizer says, no, 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 not for you. None for you. 
Only for the grass. Mm. No, we got to be careful. Judas had a whole lot of things to be grateful for. How many of you would love that opportunity to be one of Jesus' twelve? One of the twelve. You would be known forever. You're one of the twelve. You get up to heaven. Do you want to meet Peter born in the third century? Or Peter, the disciple? You get up there to heaven, you got Peter, the disciple. Long line. People want to talk to Peter, the disciple. Peter, third century. Peter's in the fourth century. Peter's in the fifth century. Peter's in the sixth century. No line. No line. Just go talk to him anytime you want to. But Peter, the disciple. John, the disciple. Wow. Long line. Everyone wants to meet. You're John. Wow. John. Oh, can I ask you about this? You had the opportunity to be one of the twelve. And can you believe that they could become ungrateful? They didn't know what they had. Ah, folks, we don't always know what we have. We don't know how good our car is. We don't know how good our house is. We don't know how good our spouse is. We don't know how good our job is. We don't know how good our kids are. We don't know how good things are until things change. Don't ever become ungrateful. Don't let those attitudes be sown on the inside because if we allow these attitudes to be sown on the inside of us, I become fertile ground for some bad stuff. Don't let the bad stuff get a hold of you. Stay grateful. Be on guard. Come into His presence with and into His courts. Is there another way? Then, Then stop trying to invent it. Don't try and come up with it. Come into His courts. Come into His His presence. This is how you do it. This is what we need to do. Don't allow ungratefulness to come in. Oh, it's so, it's so easy to do. So I'll bet you all did it a couple of times this week, didn't you? Ungratefulness came in. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> and slap yourself. Oh, what am I doing? What am I doing? Because it's fertile. I want you to understand it. This is fertile soil. If you allow ungratefulness, unthankfulness to get in, it's fertile soil. Now think on your own yard. How many of you, we just cut down this huge tree in our yard. Thank God. Of course, when we cut it down, we've suddenly found out, oh, we like the shade over here. <laughs> we just didn't like the shade over here. <laughs> now we don't have the shade over here, but we also don't have the shade over here. It affected our neighborhood so much. This tree was big. It affected our neighborhood so much. Our, our neighbors came over and they said, our pond got too hot. <laughs> they had to put something over their pond to keep the pond from getting hot because our tree covered it up. But in the spring of every year, this, this humongous tree would drop these whirly things. You ever see those whirly? It's the silver maple. It drops those little whirly things and they whirled all over the place. And you have to pick them up all over. They're all over the pool cover. They're all over the concrete. And they leave marks and they smell and they get wet and sit there. And, and But the ones that get into the yard, they begin to grow up these little trees. And you have to go around and you have to either pull them out or what I like to do if they're in the lawn, all you do is cut the lawn. All I got to do, cut the lawn. 
cut the lawn, tree's gone. Maybe a second time, but that's it. That tree's not surviving the second cut. Trees do not live by being cut like, like grass does. You want to get rid of them that way. But how many of y'all know they find some places and the lawnmower can't quite get there? Because these are whirly birds and they fly all over the place and they get up next to the house over here or by the fence or underneath a bush that you like or by the shed or wherever it is they're there and they send the roots down and they begin to grow. Oh, there's one of those trees. I better get over there and get that. But you don't get it right away. What happens to the tree? Does the tree ever say, my number's up. He's going to kill me. No, what's the tree say? Keep growing. Keep growing. And the tree keeps growing. You look, oh, I forgot that was there. I need to get out of here. I need to get this. And you don't. And what happens? The tree keeps growing. And it gets to be bigger. And you know, before you could have just... Boop. And now it's... Uh, but then after a while, it's no longer... Uh, it's who's got a chainsaw? <laughs> I need a chainsaw. We've got to cut it down. Then we need a chainsaw. Now we have a stump. And you've got to go out there and, and take that down. When we took this tree down, I mean, this tree had roots. Oh, it had some big roots, nasty roots. Trees should not have roots like this. They were nasty. We had taken a green pole when we put it in for a fence in two different, uh, all along a certain spot. And when we took that fence down, there were a couple of these. We just couldn't, you know, we couldn't pull it out. And so they just ended up being stuck there. They just stayed there for a while. And we took the tree out and thought, well, we want the stump grinder to come in and grind the stump out. I better try and get this one out. And so I went out there to try and get it and uh, I took the, the uh, pickaxe and I pickaxed that area with everything I could and that root had come out from the tree and wrapped itself around the green metal pole so that the metal pole and the root had become one. Now the fight was on. Man and tree. And I accepted the challenge. And I took that pickaxe and I'm whacking on And we're not talking roots. We are not talking roots. We are not talking roots. We are talking roots. And I'm whacking away at this thing. And whacking away. And I whacked at it so hard I broke the metal in the green thing. But there's still something down in there. But I've already taken on the challenge. You will come out. And I whacked on it some more. I called Christian out. Christian, you come on out too. And he started whacking on it. And then when he got tired, I went it and I whacked on it some more. And I got tired, he whacked on it some more. And then I got, he got tired, I whacked on it some more. And we're going back and forth to whack on this thing. And I said, you know what? Some dirt will help this out right here. We just covered it with dirt. <laughs> we broke off as much of it as we possibly could. And we left the rest in the ground and covered it with dirt. <laughs> it won. <laughs> oh boy it was a battle and it did not want to give up the green post so the green post is still on the ground to this day but oh what a battle and how much easier it is to take these things out when they're little twirly things but people who have given into this over and over have become unthankful and ungrateful not, I'm not talking about you're ungrateful for an hour or two 
I'm not talking that you got ungrateful for a day and got out of it. I'm talking people who got ungrateful for weeks and months and years. Things have rooted down on the inside of them. And it's very hard to get that stuff out. They are ungrateful, unthankful people. And any seed the devil throws in there just grows. Don't become one of those people. Be on guard against any attitude of being ungrateful and unthankful. Any attitude. Be on guard. Don't allow, like Adam and Eve, to be in perfect paradise and think things can be better. Don't allow, like Judas, who said, Oh, I have the best shepherd there is. I'm getting the best teaching there is. I am on the best tour, ministry tour, that will ever go down in history. This is the best one. But he got focused on other things. And though he was in the best of the best, suddenly it became not as good. Not as good. It could be better. This is what happens. The devil is looking around. Don't give him the opportunity. Don't give him the opportunity. Be on guard. Be on guard. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we know all too easy how easy it is to become ungrateful, unthankful, not appreciating the things that we have, not seeing the miracles, the things you have pulled us through. Our eyes right now are on the dilemma, the problem in front of us. Father, we want to focus on the good things you have done, the miracles that you have done in the past, you will continue to do in the future. The job that we have may not be the best job in the world, but we will never become unthankful and ungrateful. We'll just know God's going to bless me with a better job. But all the time that I'm there, I'm honoring you. Whatever school we've been in, whatever class we've been in, whatever neighborhood we've been in, how easy it is for us to become ungrateful, unthankful for the neighbors we have. Oh, we could have much better neighbors. Oh, it could be so much better. And if only we were in that neighborhood. If only I had those kids. Those are nicer. If only I had that car. I'd appreciate it if I had that car. Father, we want to appreciate you all the time. And we'll always be grateful. We can always have our eyes on the future for the blessings that are to come. But never should we turn our backs and forsake the things that you have done for us. Just as these cases, and we've looked at it in the Scriptures, have done. Help us, Father, learn from their example and not follow on the same path. The devil longs for ungrateful, unthankful thoughts because those are the places that he can sow the seeds he wants to grow. Thank you for the help that you give us. As we go out this week, we will become thankful if we're not already for all the blessings that you have put into our life. And we are grateful to be servants of you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.